Reconciliation becomes the new buzzword as it becomes apparent that Congress has no intention of working together. So we'll talk a bit about what's there and how they use that first in order to make sure that the stimulus bill comes through. In other news, the cages are back, except they're not being called cages anymore. Buttigieg is congratulated for being the second openly gay cabinet member, as he is confirmed at this point, and the media still wants you to believe that he is the first and... Bezos is going to step down as Amazon CEO. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning, ladies, gentlemen, non-binaries of all walks of life, too. Everybody's welcome here. You guys can chat, you guys can talk, and if you get your name in the chat then I'll give you a special thank you at the end of the week because it's a small show and I can still do that for everybody here. We might grow at some point and I might not be able to do that, but as of right now, I want to continue to do that for you guys as long as I can. But we'll talk about that on Friday a little bit more. As for today, we've got a bunch of stuff to get to, including something that I am thankful for because it is a Wednesday and a whole bunch more. But before we get into any of that, head on over to freedomscoop.com. Give us a bookmark because our page is coming soon. Jake just asked us all for bios, so he's pretty serious on this, and I've got to get the word out to the R-rated conservative, so he can go ahead and get one out as well. But uh, go uh, go ahead and bookmark us. And while we are still out there getting everything fixed, done, and taken care of, Head on over and check out our friends, The Generational Gap, The Daily Ignoramus, The R-Rated Conservative, The Freckles and Brit Show, and The Breakdown with Birkenhoff. We don't have the handy link to bring them all together just yet, but once the dust settles and the new website is up, we will have them all together, including some swag to help us support great creators as well. So come on over, throw the bookmark down, and come and hang out with us once we get everything all out nice, shiny, and new. All right, let's look at what the Dow Jones did yesterday where it looks like it stayed actually pretty well up throughout the day, and it looks like it might be doing that once again. So, hey, hey, that Biden economy is going to come in, but once it comes crashing down, it'll be the Trump economy again. Uh, it's, it's not my economy. Especially given the fact that they're about to go spend a whole bunch more money, and the mainstream media is hoping and praying that you don't know what the debt is. Well, I guess they've been hoping and praying that since Barack Obama took office, and they actively hit it under Trump, but that was because... Congress kept throwing omnibus after omnibus and then holding the federal workers hostage when he refused to sign them. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what the media says about the new debt coming up here. But yeah, we're sitting at 3687.48. That is up 1.5%. So they had a fairly decent jump and then stayed steady throughout the day. Uh, Bitcoin. Bitcoin gave us another slight rise here. We're up to 36500 and everybody should have some Bitcoin. I don't care if you can't hold it or mold it. Everybody go get some Bitcoin because that's the way that everything should be. We'll see what happens with that, especially once now the money printer is going to go burr again. So I'm guessing a lot of people are going to uh, start putting a little bit of money into that as well. All right, let's see what the investors have to say here. Well, we're not going to read from IBD because they gave me the finger assholes. But CNBC will give us something here. Dow jumps 470 points, posts best day since November as the GameStop trading media unwinds. 
from Yoon Lee and Jesse Pound. U.S. stocks jumped on Tuesday, building on a strong rally in the previous session as concerns about a speculative retail trading frenzy continue to ease. The Dow Jones Industrial Average climbed 475.57 points, or 1.6%, to 30,687.48 for its best daily performance since November. The S&P 500 gained 1.4% to 38.26.31, pushing its two-day rally to 3%. The tech-heavy Nasdaq popped 1.6%, to 13.612.78, bringing its week-to-date gains to more than 4%. The back-to-back advance in the broader markets coincided with a sharp reversal in GameStop, the video game stock that captivated Wall Street with its massive short squeeze coordinated by a band of retail investors on social media. GameStop, fresh off a 400% rise last week, fell another 60% on Tuesday. The stock has lost more than 70% of its value since Friday. Inevitably, and as with any technically driven short squeeze, the Reddit rocket ship ran out of fuel and is now crashing back down to Earth, said Max Gokum, head of asset allocation at Pacific Life Fund Advisors. Upon seeing that gravity still works and fundamentals do matter, other market participants are once again comfortable going back into the market, and that's likely been driving this week's comeback rally. Well, no, it's that a lot of glowing ones have shown up in Wall Street bets and are scaring people into saying, Oh, well, you're going to be holding the bag when all this is over, man. Everybody's going to come in. And everyone's going to make their money. And you guys that came in late, you're going to be holding the bag. So you better sell off now. It's a sigh-up. And it's winning, unfortunately. Not enough people had the courage to hold the line. It is what it is. I kind of saw this coming. I, I'd hoped... That people were so pissed off with the government, but hey, now they're going to go get another stimulus check. And dot dot government, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we'll talk a bit about that. Other highly speculative investments popular with the Reddit crowd also plunged. AMC dropped more than 41%, but they're out of debt now. So futures contracts for silver, which enjoyed their biggest one-day jump in 11 years, slid more than 10% on Tuesday for its worst day since August. Investors took it as a sign that the speculative mania from retail traders is unwinding, which is healthy for the overall market and investor confidence. Which means the billionaires. The stock market suffered its worst week since October last week as many grew worried that the wild trading activity in those heavily shorted names could be contagious and spill over to the other areas of the markets. Still, some believe that this Reddit fuel trading mania showed that the collective power of retail investors warrants extra attention. Retail investors are a force to be reckoned with, said Lauren Goodwin, uh, economist and portfolio strategist at New York Life Investments. This precise example will fade and retail investors' influence will ebb and flow over time. But on a single-name basis, I think it would be prudent for investors to expect attention to flare for certain equities from time to time. Did we lose the stream for a second? I lost 101 frames, I can see that. Well, that's lame. Meanwhile, investors will be following stimulus negotiations in Washington after congressional Republicans made a counteroffer to President Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus plan on Sunday. And by the way, that's going to push us close enough to $3 trillion, that I, or $30 trillion rather, that... Uh, I'm pretty sure they're just going to start saying $30 trillion at this point. 
30 trillion in debt. Here it comes. Biden met with those lawmakers on Monday as congressional Democrats moved toward passing a reconciliation bill without bipartisan support. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki described the meeting as substantive and productive. Investors also awaited big earnings reports on Tuesday with tech giants Amazon and Alphabet set to release quarterly numbers after the market close. So, yeah, looks like the numbers are going to keep going up at this point. Didn't get to see what the futures were because IBD decided to be that way. But we'll definitely look into this tomorrow again and see where it's going. All right, speaking of the budget, let's have a look at what's happening with the stimulus. From Politico. Democrats plow ahead with party-line COVID relief package. From Marianne Levine and Burgess Everett. Oh, look at Schumer there. He's virtue signaling with his mask. And guess what? He's not uh, hes not covering his nose. Isn't there some Karen that needs to be screaming at him right now? Senate Democrats took the first step Tuesday towards passing a $1.9 trillion stimulus bill without Republican support advancing their efforts to avoid a GOP filibuster. The vote to kickstart the budget reconciliation process, which passed 50 to 49, is a sign that leadership expects to have the full Democratic caucus on board for the final package. The sentiment is positive, said Senate Majority Whip Dick Durbin. We don't ha uh, ask for an oath in writing, but we're proceeding with a positive feeling. The vote comes a day after President Biden met with a group of Senate Republicans who were offering a $618 billion counterproposal, although Biden told Senate Democrats Tuesday on a private caucus call that the meeting went well. He said that Republicans' proposal is not sufficient, according to sources on the call. Trying to pass Biden's $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief plan will amount to Democrats' first major legislative effort since winning full control of Washington. The Senate will pass a budget that instructs committees to write the relief bill, which includes increasing the minimum wage to $15 an hour and providing $400 in weekly federal unemployment benefits through September. With a 50-50 Senate, Democrats have no room for error, though one Republican's absence on Tuesday meant that Vice President Kamala Harris did not need to cast a tie-breaking vote. Every Senate Democrat voted to move forward in the process, including uh, Manchin, who opposes raising the minimum wage to $15. We must address the urgency of the COVID-19 crisis, Manchin said in a statement, but let me be clear, and these are words that I shared with President Biden, our focus must be targeted on COVID-19 crisis and Americans who have been most impacted by this pandemic. Well, you can say that, but unfortunately, this is going to be another avenue for them to load a lot of pork into the government. It is what they're going to do. It is unclear whether the Senate parliamentarian will allow certain provisions in Biden's package, such as raising the minimum wage, to be included through the reconciliation process. It won't. But the Biden administration and Senate Democrats argue that the economic conditions from the pandemic require a significant and speedy response from Congress. The Senate is going to move forward this week with the process for producing the next bold rescue package, said Majority Leader Chucky e. Schumer. Time is a luxury our country does not have, and let me be very clear, we're not going to dilute, dither, or delay. In addition to Biden, Treasury Secretary Yellen joined Democrats' caucus call on Wednesday. Yellen answered questions from senators and encouraged the caucus to pursue a large stimulus.
Senate Democrats said afterward that the call with Biden and Yellen was positive and vowed that the Senate would move swiftly on coronavirus relief with or without Republican buy-in. We've really got to get this bill out early on. I think we need to have it early in March on the Senate floor, said Senate Finance Chair Ron Wyden of Oregon. Biden and Janet Yellen are interested in a bipartisan package and talk about it, but they make clear the American people want something that really helps them. Well, and they also wanted it yesterday, too, and they want $2,000. So, I mean, you can do everything that you want here, but, I mean, you're getting at the point where we're going on a year for this. People are opening back up. And you did pretty well straight up lie to the American people. Well, if, if you vote for these people in Georgia, then I will have $2,000 checks on your doorstep by January 21st, okay? And now here we go. And once again, snip, snip, snip. It's going away because they don't have the money to cover this. $1.9 trillion. They're going to shoot the debt back up once again. But that's what they're doing with this. I've got one here from the Washington Post, where democracy goes to die in darkness. White House open to narrowing who qualifies for the stimulus checks, but keeping payments at $1,400 per person. From Jeff Stein and Erica Werner. The White House is open to narrowing eligibility for the next round of stimulus payments, but not lowering those payments below $1,400 per person, according to a White House spokeswoman. Congressional Republicans and even some centrist Democrats have in recent days raised concerns that President Biden's proposal to send another round of stimulus checks would give government aid to affluent Americans who do not need it. Yeah, like everything else that comes out of the government. Because even if they go away from everybody who is, an aff uh, who is affluent, guess who's still going to get that money when people go out and start spending it? The affluent people. It's still going to go to those same people, you guys. Biden has publicly expressed willingness to negotiate the stimulus payments, which under Democrats' current plans would begin to diminish at $75,000 for individuals and couples making up to $150,000 a year. Well, that's below the poverty line in California. Biden is also aiming to provide a $1,400 per adult and child under that threshold. On top of the $600 per adult and child approved by Congress in December. I said $2,000 stimulus checks and I don't lie. Here's $1,400. A group of 10 Senate Republicans trying to strike a bipartisan compromise on a stimulus plan proposed lowering the income thresholds on the payments to $50,000 for individuals and $100,000 for couples and reducing the size of the checks from $1,400 to $1,000. During the bipartisan meeting at the White House on Monday, White House officials expressed openness to lowering income thresholds on the payments, but will not accept reducing the size of the checks. Two people briefed on the discussion said these people spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss private conversations with the White House staff. Sources? Dude, trust me. The president remains committed to finishing the job on delivering $2,000 in direct relief to Americans who are struggling to make ends meet during the crisis, Rosemary G. Bojelin, a White House spokeswoman, said in a statement. Senator Shelley Moore, Capito, a member of the bipartisan group, also said in an interview that Biden demonstrated greatest willingness to negotiate with Republicans over more narrowly targeting the income threshold for the stimulus payments. So, 
yeah, there you go. They're trying. And, of course, now he's trying to cut off other people that otherwise would have got the free stuff out of the government. And you're, for 50 grand, you're cutting right into the working class at that point, too. I mean, that's not much more than where I make. I would actually fall into the Corona Bucks threshold under that if they got to that point there. But not by much. And I am not affluent by any means either, by the way. I am in no way affluent. And that would just barely clear over where I'm, uh, what I'm making a year. So, that's where they're trying to do to try and keep the debt down at some point here, which I wish they would have done more of that in the last four years. Definitely do. Let's keep going here. I've got one here. I've got one from NPR. What is reconciliation? Democrats face hurdles to use it for COVID relief. The reconciliation. Make sure that you can give more money to NPR. Remember, they do need your money. Won't you give them a donation? More than what your taxes are already giving them. Won't you please, won't you please give them a donation? This is from Kelsey Snell. The U.S. Senate voted 50-49 to 49 along party lines on Tuesday to advance a budget resolution, setting up a lengthy push to approve $1.9 trillion in coronavirus relief requested by President Biden. Republicans have already told Biden that they won't go that big, but in an effort to seek bipartisanship, Biden had a group of 10 Republicans to the White House on Monday. 10 is an important number because it's exactly the number of Republicans that Democrats would need to end the filibuster and pass legislation. But congressional Democrats say they're not going to let the possibility of bipartisanship get in the way of passing a needed bill. The vote on the budget resolution sets in motion a decades-old budget rule called reconciliation to get around the 60-vote threshold and a filibuster and pass legislation with a simple majority. Get ready, because you're actually going to see quite a fucking bit of this. But it's complicated, and some Democrats' priorities might not qualify under this process. So what is reconciliation? How does it work? And what are the challenges? We explain. Reconciliation is a rule that was included when Congress rewrote the budget rules in 1974. The goal was to allow Congress to pass a new budget resolution with new spending priorities and quickly pass the legislation to reflect the needs of the movement. The Congressional Research Service, a nonpartisan research group in Congress, reports reconciliation was first used in 1980 and has been used to pass 25 reconciliation bills. Bet me that they double that in the next two years. The process allows the party in control of Congress to pass most big dollar legislation with a simple 51 majority in the Senate without having to worry about a filibuster. Congressional Democrats say they've heard Biden's calls for bipartisanship, but they're setting up a budget workaround just in case. Yeah. Tell me what happens when people who are desperate to end the filibuster start using that just in case. By the end of the week, we will be finished with the budget resolution, which will not be about reconciliation if needed, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told reporters last week. I hope we don't need it, but if we need it, we will have it. 
For years, Congress mostly used reconciliation for deficit res uh, reduction, said Zach Muller, Deputy Director of Economic Programs at the center-left think tank Third Way and former Democratic staffer on the Senate Budget Committee. In recent years, though, reconciliation has become a popular tool to get big partisan bills passed when one party has full control of Washington. Democrats used reconciliation to pass some health care changes in 2010, and Republicans used it to pass tax cuts in 2017. <clears throat> so, at this point, it looks like Democrats used it to raise the deficit, and Republicans use it, well, they also raise the deficit. Okay. I'll scratch what I was about to say there because it looks like everybody's using it to raise the deficit at this point. As well as their failed attempt to repeal the Affordable Care Act during Donald Trump's presidency. This is a way to find a way to change spending and revenue that does not have to deal with partisan gridlock, Moeller said. It's not a backdoor process. Yes, it is. It's more like express lanes on the highway. It's a way to get what... Uh, it's a way to get you where you want to go, sometimes faster, oftentimes with less congestion. But there are some pretty significant roadblocks along the way to reconciliation. Budget reconciliation isn't as simple as adding policies to a budget bill and passing that legislation with 51 votes in the Senate. The process starts with a budget resolution that includes special rules and procedures for the reconciliation. Typically, Congress only gets one shot at reconciliation each year because they're only allowed to pass one budget for each fiscal year, but they haven't done that since Clinton. This year is different. The previous Congress did not pass a budget for 2020, which means Democrats have the ch uh, chance to attach a reconciliation, instructions to a 2020 budget, and a 2021 budget if they can agree on what those budgets should include. Once they agree on a budget, simple majorities in the House and Senate have to pass same language. Then the clock starts for reconciliation and things can move quickly. There's a time limit on debate in the Senate and there's no filibuster when the clock runs out. So looks like, and I mean, I didn't know about reconciliation until the other day, but it looks like they may not abuse this as hard as they want to. Now, when this was first being talked about, of course, the first thing they started talking about was, how can we abuse this because we've got the whole Congress and we're going to get our entire wish list passed through this. And it doesn't look like they're going to be able to do this. And, I mean, even given the fact that they're only going to get two, maybe three throughout the entire Congress because you can only really do one once a year. I don't know if they're going to blow one of these on, on the stimulus. I don't know if they've got, they stand enough to gain to blow one of these on the stimulus. I really don't. When they can have it fail and then sit back and blame Republicans because they've got the mainstream media in their corner. I don't know if they're going to blow their load on this one or not. I really don't. They might. It might actually happen. But we'll see where it goes. All right, let's keep going. From Fox. Oh, I left this one way too far down, and now it's got to think for a second. Pasaki, accused of making fun of Space Force, refuses to apologize from Caitlin McFall. Ranking member of the House Armed Services Committee has called on the White House press secretary to immediately apologize for her response to a Space Force question during a Tuesday press briefing. 
Alabama Republican Representative Mike Rogers took offense to Psaki's answer in jest to a question about the future of the Space Force under the Biden administration. Let's see. I thought I had video of this. Yes, I do. Really? You fuckstick. Ask whether the president has made a decision on keeping or keeping the scope of Space Force. Wow, Space Force. It's, it's the plane of today. Um, it is an interesting question. Um, I am happy to check with our Space Force point of contact. I'm not sure who that is. I will find out and see if we have any update on that. Uh, go ahead. Um, so she's going to circle back. Couple uh, start with COVID relief. Whether the president has made a decision on keeping or keeping the scope of Space Force. Wow, Space Force. It's, it's the plane of today. Um... You know, honestly, I tried hard not to name call because I've been name called so much throughout my life there, but on this one, I've got to make an exception. What a disingenuous fucking cunt. Listen to her. Seriously. What a disingenuous bitch. All right, let's see what else they've got to say over at Fox. Space Force was enacted by Congress in December of 2019 as an extension of the U.S. military and aims to protect U.S. special interests in space capabilities. It's concerning to see the Biden administration's press secretary blatantly diminish an entire branch of our military as the punchline of a joke, which I'm sure China would find funny, Rogers said in a statement. The Space Force was passed with near-unanimous support in Congress, the same type of unity President Biden is supposedly working towards, he added. Jen Psaki needs to immediately apologize to the men and women of Space Force for this disgraceful comment. Biden has not publicly commented on the newest military force that was formed during the Trump administration, but several lawmakers see Space Force as a continuation of the U.S.'s efforts to combat China's growing presence. And like I said, I mean, it's not like we're going to be having Star Trek or Starfleet or energy weapon battles going on out in space and doing deep space stuff there. For me, it just, and once again, I might be completely wrong on the mission statement of Space Force here, but to me, it looks like another intercontinental mis uh, missile uh, intercontinental ballistic missile defense system because that would be the best place to take one of those down if one of those was coming towards the US at some point in the future would be to take it from space that'd be the quickest way to see it detect it and either notify the people of the US or launch a counter strike against the thing so I mean, I understand the necessity for it. I, I don't know if maybe we needed it just yet, but, I mean, get it started and getting... Preparation is the key. Get it started. Get prepared for it. Before we need something like that. Especially with China saber-rattling and North Korea saber-rattling and Iran saber-rattling and the rest of Asia pissed at us for one reason or the other. So we'll see what happens with that. Let's keep going. Uh, let's see if this is or is not the same information. Top House Republican demands Psaki apologize over disgraceful Space Force quip. 
from Politico. This is from Jacqueline Felcher. The House Armed Services Committee's top Republican is calling on White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki to immediately apologize for her response to a Space Force question in Tuesday's briefing. It is concerning. Yeah, this is the same information. So we read this one in the Fox News article. We'll skip over the rest of this one here. Let's go on and read from the Daily Wire. Top U.S. commander, we must assume very real possibility that we may need to use nukes against China and Russia. I hope you're ready for more war, people. I hope that you're ready for more war because it's coming. And the people that are in charge that are making bunches of money off of Raytheon are ready for it. Did you hear Elaine on Monday? She actually did buy stock and defense companies because, I mean, you know what's coming. And we've been speculating over this since, well, since even before the election day. Joe Biden's never met a military action that he doesn't like, and Kamala Harris has got to prove that she's just like the big boys. So something's going to come out of this here. This is from Ryan Saavedra. The head of the U.S. Strategic Command warned in a piece published at the U.S. Naval Institute this month that there was a real possibility that the U.S. could end up in a nuclear conflict with Russia or China and that the strategic playbook needed to be updated to assume that that specific type of, uh, type of conflict was a real possibility. STRATCOM Commander Admiral Charles Richard warned that the U.S. military needed to change its approach or else we are likely to prepare for the conflict we prefer instead of the one we are likely to face. Richard wrote, At the U.S. Strategic Command, we assess the probability of a nuclear use as low, but not impossible, particularly in a crisis, and as our nuclear-armed adversaries continue to build capability and exert themselves globally. Further, assessing risk is more than just assessing likelihood. It also involves accounting for outcomes. We cannot dismiss or ignore events that currently appear unlikely, but should they occur, would have catastrophic consequences. While DOD's focus has been on counterterrorism, Russia and the People's Republic of China, China have begun aggressively challenging international norms and global peace, using instruments of power and threats of force in ways not seen since the height of the Cold War. Yeah, a military commander says, get ready because we're going to have to throw the nukes around. Well, I guess go ahead and fucking do it. I want to play Fallout in real life. I do, at some point. Let's keep going. From the Hill. Why do I have two CNNs in a row? I wanted this one over here. From the Hill. Grinnell congratulates Buttigieg on becoming second opening gay cabinet member. I don't care which orifice you take it in. I really don't. So I don't know why this is a big deal. Can he do the job? That's what's important to me. Can he not do the job? Well, that's also what's important to me. But, hey, first this, first that, first everything. From Eris Folly. Richard Grinnell, who became the first openly gay man to serve in the president's cabinet after being designated acting director of national intelligence last year, congratulated Pete Buttigieg on becoming the second after he was confirmed by the head uh, to the head of the transportation department by the Senate on Tuesday. You know he really did love trains. 
Congratulations to Pete Buttigieg on becoming the second openly gay member of the president's cabinet. Welcome to the club, he tweeted on Tuesday afternoon. The Senate voted to confirm Buttigieg to lead the department in an 86-13 vote earlier on Tuesday. While he is only the second openly gay person to serve as a member of the president's cabinet in the nation's history, he is the first to be confirmed to the cabinet by the Senate. Grinnell became the first openly gay cabinet member after former President Trump designated him to serve as the DNI in February of 2020. The former ambassador to Germany also criticized news outlets for their coverage of Buttigieg's confirmation, which often played up the history-making aspects of Tuesday's Senate vote. Do you care where he sticks it or where he takes it? I don't care where he sticks it or where he takes it. I really don't. But apparently the Hill cares. From the blaze. I'm not making new law. I'm eliminating bad policy. Biden defends high number of executive orders. From Breck Dumas. President Biden made a point on Tuesday to defend the breakneck flurry of executive orders. He has turned out since taking office nearly two weeks ago, asserting, I'm not making new law. I'm eliminating bad policy. Biden signed three executive orders on immigration issues Tuesday in the Oval Office, telling the media, I want to make it clear there's a lot of talk with good reason about the number of executive orders that I've signed. Is there a video? Good. I don't want to do my Biden impression for that long. These uh, three different uh, executive orders are about. And I want to make it clear there's a lot of talk with good reason about the number of executive orders that I've signed. I'm not making new law. I'm eliminating bad policy. Um, what I'm doing is taking on the issues that 99% of them that the president, the last president of the United States, issued executive orders I thought were very counterproductive to our security, counterproductive to who we are as a country, particularly in, uh, in, uh, in the area of immigration. This is about uh, how America is safer, stronger, more prosperous when we have a fair, orderly, and uh, humane legal immigration system. These uh, three different... Uh, yeah. Well, here's the deal, Joe Biden. You come back and you say that only dictators governed by executive fiat. And then you go back in governed by executive fiat. Which, given the 1994 crime bill that your vice president used to get cheap labor in California, I mean, that statement's actually true. You are a dictator. You're an authoritarian. But, you know, there you go. Fox News reported that the immigration executive orders were part of a sweeping push by Biden to roll back policies put in place by former President Donald Trump, who took heat for imposing aggressive measures regarding immigration and border security. We're going to have a great, big, great, well, shining, spanning from sea to shining sea, okay, all across the southern border. It's going to be the great, well, I'm going to put a gigantic neon sign that says Trump on top of it, okay? Okay, you guys. Well, at least he's trying to justify it here. Let's keep going. From CNN, Biden signs immigration executive orders and establishes task force to reunite separated families. From Priscilla Alvarez. Yeah, I... 
with the amount of child trafficking, I want to see how well this goes over. President Joe Biden signed three executive orders Tuesday that take aim at his predecessor's hardline immigration policies and try to rectify the consequences of those policies, including by establishing a task force designed to reunite families separated at the U.S.-Mexico border. Well, first you're going to have to figure out whether or not they're actually families or whether or not you are giving children into the hands of child traffickers. Don't get me wrong, I don't like the idea of unaccompanied minors running around. But what do you think is going to happen to those kids? When you hand them back to a fucking kitty diddler that tried to smuggle them across the border. What are you, what, what are you doing? The latest orders build on the actions taken in Biden's first days in office and begin to provide a clearer picture of the administration's immigration priorities. I don't need a clearer picture. I know what his immigration priorities are. His immigration priorities are get a bunch of people in over the over the wall and through the border illegally, dangle path of citizenship on a stick over the top of their heads so that they'll come in and work for next to nothing for all of his big corporate buddies. And then, no, 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 it, it's coming eventually. No, no, your path to citizenship, it's it's going to be here. No, just, just keep working. Don't worry about it. But if you complain about your job, we're going to send dice here and you're going to be deported. That's his immigration priorities right there. I'm going to make a new law. I'm eliminating bad policy. Biden said at the White House, flanked by Vice President Kamala Harris. Yeah, you notice she's always in the shot at this point. And newly confirmed Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas of the stream of executive orders he signed as president. This is about how America is safer, stronger, more prosperous when we have a fair, orderly, and humane legal immigration system and a completely unchecked illegal immigration system so all the people who donated to me can have their cheap slave labor. The orders signed Tuesday largely direct reviews of policies and do not have an immediate impact concerning immigration advocates and attorneys scrambling for answers on the future of migrants subject to Trump-era policies. Well, we'll see where it goes. I said Trump should have just passed the citizen to all the DACA kids immediately. Back in 2018, I started saying that. Just pat the citizenship at them in. Then at least they know what's going to happen on the next day instead of now they're going to be pawns for the next time. The next time there's an election in and somebody comes out and says, oh, well, all those Republicans are just going to deport the DACA people. You can't vote for a Republican. All they're going to do is deport the DACA people. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, as far as ICE goes... From NBC, ICE defies Biden, deports El Paso massacre witness, hundreds of others. From Suzanne Gamboa and the AP, President Biden is continuing to unravel the Trump administration's hardline immigration policies, but has been unable to stop the deportation of hundreds, including a woman who witnessed the 2019 anti-Latino mass shooting at an El Paso, Texas Walmart store. 
Biden went into his presidency carrying the weight of the record deportations that occurred under former President Barack Obama and a mandate from progressive supporters to do things differently. An early Biden executive order placing a 100-day moratorium on deportations until an enforcement review could be done was suspended by a federal judge in response to a Texas lawsuit, but the ruling did not require U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement to reschedule the deportations. Biden planned to issue additional immigration EOs on Tuesday. In recent days, ICE, part of the Department of Homeland Security, has deported immigrants to at least three countries, 15 to Jamaica on Thursday, 269 people to Guatemala and Honduras on Friday, more deportation flights were scheduled Monday, the Associated Press reported. One of the deportations triggering loud outcry is that of a woman, only being identified as Rosa to protect her from potential violence in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. She witnessed the August 2019 shooting massacre, dubbed a domestic terrorism event by investigators, at an El Paso, Texas Walmart store that left 22 people dead. A 23rd person died later of her, uh, his wounds. Rather, Another 26 people were wounded. Rosa had agreed to be a witness against the gunman. She had met with the local district attorney's office, according to her lawyer. Well, yeah, they probably should have made an exception for that one. I'd love to see where the order came for that and somebody be held accountable to that. Because that's probably not the way to do that either, especially a witness going through an ongoing trial. Is the trial for that over, by the way? If it's not over, then... They need to go back to Juarez and get her ass back here so she can take the stand. And then they're going to go over this one again and redo this one once again. So yeah, I mean, if, that, if that's actually true of the trial still going on, then they need to get to Juarez and get that woman back here as quickly as possible. Because that dude does need to have all the witnesses testify right back against him. Well... The good news is, the good news is there's new flowery language coming in for one of the less liked border policies out there. The bad news is the cages are still going to be there. From CNN, Biden administration prepares to open overflow facility for migrant children from Priscilla uh, Alvarez. See, it's not kids in cages when Biden does it. When Biden does it, it's an overflow facility. The Biden administration is opening an overflow facility for unaccompanied migrant children. Apprehended at the U.S.-Mexico border, the federal agency tasked with the children's care told CNN in a statement. The Health and Human Services Department will reopen a facility at Carrizo Springs, Texas, that can accommodate about 700 children and can be expanded if necessary. The reopening of the facility amid an increase in apprehensions of unaccompanied children at the southwest border, fueled in part by deteriorating conditions in Latin America and a perceived possible relaxation of enforcement and reduced capacity limits at other facilities due to COVID-19, it also comes as President Biden rolls out new immigration EOs tackling migration to the U.S. southern borders. Unaccompanied children who cross the border are taken into custody by the DHS and referred to HHS through a Trump-era policy that also makes them subject to expulsion if placed in care, case managers work to place a child with a sponsor in the U.S., like a parent or a relative. The facility in Carrizo Springs will be used for children who are medically cleared from COVID-19 quarantine. COVID-19 quarantine and will not be used for those younger than 13. 
According to the Office of Refugee Resettlement, the agency within the HHS that is responsible for the care of migrant children. As of Thursday, there were approximately 4,730 children in the Office of Re uh, Refugee Resettlement Care. HHS is mindful of these children's vulnerability, and our priority is the safety and well-being of each child in our care. HHS anticipates the need to start placing children at Carrizo Spring in 15 days or soon after, the agency said in a statement, citing the limited capacity due in part to COVID-19. Amazing. Amazing. The kids are still in the cages, but now they can put nice flower language around it. To make it to make you feel good about the fact that they're in cages, I, I, I have to give it to CNN because I didn't think they were going to report on the kids in cages at all. I didn't think they were going to use Newspeak to try and justify the kids in cages. I thought they were just going to stop reporting on them and not talk about them again until such time that a Republican wants to take a leadership role in the government once again. I thought they were going away. I, I've got to hand it to CNN. I've got to give it to them. Hey, I'll call balls and strikes. And yeah, you're still reporting on the kids in cages. You're just trying to make everybody feel good about the kids in cages. Nineteen eighty-four was not meant to be an instruction manual, people. All right, from the Washington Post, once again, where democracy goes to die in darkness. House vote tonight, leveling fines of up to $10,000 on lawmakers who flout security screenings. From Felicia Sonmez, the House will vote Tuesday night on whether to penalize lawmakers who seek to bypass the security screening measures that have been enacted in the wake of the January 6th storming of the Capitol by a pro-Trump mob, with offenders facing a $5,000 fine for the first offense and $10,000 each time thereafter. Jim McGovern of Massachusetts, chairman of the House Rules Committee, defended the move in an impassioned floor speech. Did he hold a skull while he did it? To be or not to be, whether it is nobler, to allow our colleagues to come in and be able to defend themselves in the chamber, or, whether well, it is nobler, to push them through metal detectors and give them fines when they do not comply, when we cannot ensure their safety because we suck at everything, we are the government. in which he blasted the elitist mentality of those who have ignored the screening procedures, imploring his fellow lawmakers to recognize the rules apply to us too, and it's time all of us acted like it. Apparently, some of my friends on the other side think differently, McGovern said. Some are acting as though, being elected to Congress, they have been anointed to some sort of special club. Yeah, that's been going on for a very long time. You're just... You're just figuring this out, out now, McGovern? Most of your colleagues got million dollar, sometimes tens of million dollar net worths on a $175,000 a year salary. And you're just figuring out now that rules don't apply to Congress the same way that they apply to us plebs. You've just figured that out now. What a moron. 
Last month, metal detectors were installed outside some doors to the House chamber in a move aimed at tightening security in the wake of the deadly riot. Tense interactions between Republican lawmakers and U.S. Capitol Police soon followed. Some House members, such as Lauren Boebert, refused to hand over their bags to police even after they had set off the magnetometers. Others, such as Representatives Ralph Nor uh, Northam, Norman rather, of South Carolina, Louis Gohmert, and Randy Weber, walked right around the machines on their way to the House chamber. Still others argued with the Capitol Police officers, enforcing the new security measures, and one lawmaker, Representative Greg Stubbe, delivered a floor speech in which he blasted the metal detectors as appalling and an atrocity. The measure that will be debated Tuesday night would direct House Surgeon-at-Arms to fine members for failure to complete security screening for entrance to the House chamber. If lawmakers do not pay the fine within 90 days, the amount will be deducted directly from their congressional salary. You can't do that. Well, we'll see what happens with that. I'm sure that uh, some lobbyists will go in there and be happy to make up the fine. Because we all know that uh, it's not the congressional salary that really makes these people rich. It's whatever the lobbyists come in and hand, at the, uh, hand to them. But don't worry, the rules apply to everybody equally, except for when I want to get something done. All right, from the Daily Wire. Progressive Democrats behind Ocasio-Cortez win looking to primary Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, Because they don't tow the party line. From Emily Zanotti. No excuses, Pack. The driving force behind the Honorable Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez D-Twitch. 2018 primary victory over a more moderate Democrat in New York are taking aim at a number of moderate Democrats, including West Virginia's Joe Manchin and Arizona's Kirsten Sinema, two of the evenly divided Senate swing votes. No Excuses Pact, run by two of Ocasio-Cortez's former aides, wants to run far-left candidates against both Manchin and Sinema in the hopes that a more reliably liberal Democrat caucus in the Senate means fewer compromises with Republicans. Okay. You go ahead and run your primary challenger against Manchin in West Virginia. You want to see those numbers flip back to Republican? You go right ahead and run those people because uh, you're not going to like the outcome, I can tell you that. Manchin is currently the deciding vote for most Senate issues. If he throws his support in with the GOP, the Democratic agenda is largely dead on arrival. Sinema is less reliably moderate, but is instead unpredictable, an independent Democrat who will not caucus with either the center or the far left. Both stand in the way of a number of extreme progressive goals, including eliminating the filibuster and packing the Supreme Court with additional justices. They also likely stand with Joe Biden's White House against instituting Medicare for All, a single-payer health care program in place of the Affordable Care Act. Cinema and Manchin have both pled, uh, pleaded to help Republicans to negotiate their par own party down from real solutions to have measures in the name of bipartisanship. No excuses, PAC said in a statement on Tuesday. We will replace them. Good. Good. I want to see this. I want to see what happens when you try to run a progressive in West Virginia, because, like I said, you're not going to like the outcome. You're just, you're not. Unless you're going to openly run massive voter fraud 
which never happens, by the way, and every election is completely 100% above board. But in the unlikely event that you would go back and try to run massive voter fraud into somebody like that, that would be the only way that you could do that in in a place like West Virginia. And as much as they keep trying to say that Arizona is turning purple and blue, I don't fucking buy that shit either. And I can't... I want to see what happens from this Maricopa County audit before they start throwing threats around like this because I've got a feeling that's not going to turn out the way they want it to either. So, that's what we see from that. Let's keep going. From Business Insider... GOP Senator Tommy Tuberville says he doesn't know anything about Marjorie Taylor Greene because bad weather has prevented him from reading the news. From Sonam Sheth and Eliza Relman. Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama said Tuesday that he can't comment on allegations against Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene because bad weather has prevented him from reading the news. I, can't, I haven't even looked at what all she's done, he told the CNN producer Ted Barrett. I'd have to hold back a statement on that, travel in this weather. It's been a little rough looking at any news or whatever. Tuberville, who hosted former Democratic Senator Doug Jones last year, appeared to be referring to the snow Washington has gotten over the last few days. The newly sworn-in senator, who was previously a career college football coach, recently denied attending a meeting at the Trump International Hotel in Washington with members of then-President Donald Trump's former inner circle to discuss how to overturn the 2020 election results on January 5th, the day before the Capitol insurrection, but photos posted on social media appear to show him at the hotel that day. I don't know why, well, I know why they give a fuck about this, because they want to paint everybody as complicit and every GOP member as a terrorist. Now, I don't buy for a second the fact that Tommy Tuberville hasn't been able to watch the news. I think that was an outright bold-faced lie. But what I look at this when I read into something like this is, uh, shut the fuck up and go away, is what I read out of this. Leave me alone, I don't want to talk to you fucking pricks. Is what I'm getting out of this here. But saying it nicely so they can't go back and try to make a demon out of him for saying, leave me alone and go the fuck away, you fucking pricks. We could have had Doug Jones. No, you couldn't have. Not in Alabama, dude. I'm sorry. All right, let's keep going. From ABC7, out of New York, coronavirus update. Hey, you remember the coronavirus is still going on? Coronavirus update. New York City mayoral candidate Andrew Yang tests positive for COVID-19. American entrepreneur and New York City Democratic mayoral candidate Andrew Yang has tested positive for COVID-19. Yang released a statement on Tuesday. Well, I, I wanted to be relevant again because nobody was talking about me anymore after my bodega comments. So now I have to come up with another story. Yay, let's do UBI. That wasn't actually his statement, but this is pretty much what this is. After testing negative as recently as this weekend, today I took a COVID rapid test and received a positive result. I'm experiencing mild symptoms, but I'm otherwise feeling well and in good spirits and will quarantine in accordance with public health guidelines and follow the advice of my doctor. 
During this time, I will continue to attend as many virtual events as possible, in addition to working with our incredible campaign team to continue our mission of getting New York City back on its feet. Why does this dude even matter anymore at this point? I understand. I gave him a platform off this. But, uh, yeah, this is pretty much him finding something else to get himself in the news for. All right, let's see. From Fox, Mayor Deadfoot. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot blames Trump for standoff between city's public schools and teachers' union. So it begins. Blame the previous administration. I, other than the office of the former president, I do want to ask, when is the last time you've actually heard from Trump on anything? Now, from him himself. Now, of course, the news media is doing whatever they can to try and keep him in the news and make sure that everybody's talking about him constantly so that they don't talk about the shitty agenda that's coming out of the Biden administration. But uh, when is the last time you actually heard from Donald himself? Let's uh, see what's going on with this one. From Bradford Betts. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot on Tuesday blamed former President Donald Trump for the current impasse between the city's public schools and teachers' union. Lightfoot's comments, which she made Tuesday on CNN's New Day, marked a reversal from what she said a day before on MSNBC when she called the situation in Chicago uniquely local. Well, that's because her constituents realized that she was turning against them and she needed a, uh, she needed a scapegoat so she didn't have to make an insult at her constituents again. Stopping short of naming Trump, Lightfoot said the standoff between Chicago Public Schools and Chicago's Teachers Union over whether teachers would return to the classrooms this week was because of the incompetence of the previous administration. I think it's important for both sides to come to the table in good faith, recognize that we're both trying to work through a very challenging situation. We must get a deal done, Lightfoot said. She later added, these are really difficult times in a pandemic, exacerbated by the incompetence of the previous administration that didn't leave us with enough vaccine to really quickly get to the entire population in our city that needs it. But we're going to keep working hard to recognize that the concern that really all of our residents have regarding COVID-19. Hey, you remember last year when they said that we're not going to see a vaccine until 2022? And by the way, I'm still not going to take the fucking thing, but. Yeah, you remember that, though? That was all the way last year. I understand that. But you remember that? Well, we'll see what happens there. From CNN. Read former President Trump's response to the article of impeachment against him. Lawyers for former President Trump filed a 14-page response to the House's impeachment manager's campaign, uh, case on Tuesday in its first filing ahead of next week's impeachment trial. And here it is. Uh, we'll go briefly over the top of this. The 45th President of the United States, Donald John Trump, through his counsel, Bruce L. Castor Jr. and David Shane, hereby responds to the article of impeachment lodged against him by the U.S. House of Representatives by breaking the allegations out into eight avertments and respectfully represents. 
One, the Constitution provides that the House of Representatives shall have the sole power of impeachment, and that the President shall be removed from office on impeachment and conviction for treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Answer 1. Admitted in part, denied in part, as not relevant to any matter properly before the Senate. It is admitted that the constitutional provision at Albertment 1 is accurately reproduced. It is denied that the quoted provision currently applies to the 45th President of the United States since he is no longer President. The Constitution provision requires the person actually hold the office to be impeached since the 45th president is no longer president. The clause shall be removed from office on impeachment for is impossible for the Senate to accomplish. And thus the current proceedings before the Senate is void ab initio as legal nullity that runs patently contrary to the plain language of the Constitution. Article 1, Section 3 of the Constitution states, Judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy an office of honor. Further, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment prohibits any person who has engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States from holding any office under the United States. Admitted in part, denied in part, and denied is not relevant to any matter properly before the Senate. It is admitted that phrases from Section 3 of the 14th Amendment are correctly replicated in Abertment 2. It is denied that the 45th pres uh, president engaged in insurrection or rebellion in his conduct while president of the U.S. and in violation of his constitutional oath faithfully exe uh, execute the office of the president to the best of his ability. Uh, denied and irrelevant. Uh, four, engaged in high crimes and misdemeanors by inciting violence. Admitted in part, denied in part, and denied as irrelevant by any matter properly before the Senate. So, I'm going to wrap this up because I'm seeing what all is going through this. The law firm came out, and I, from what it looks like, they went through and they actually streamlined it. Because remember, we talked about it on Monday. All the lawyers from the Trump team quit because... He was trying to get them to go back after election fraud, and that's not the case that's on the table here. It looks like now the lawyers that are representing him have set him down the corner and said, okay, we need to deal with what's on the table here, Don. Stop talking. You can't tweet anymore, but stop fucking talking. And let's get this going away. And now they've sent a letter back to the House of Representatives and the Senate in the impeachment manners that says, fuck you. We're not doing this. I will link this back into the Discord so you guys can watch it, and I'll tweet this out as well. But, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about this because, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is the way this needs to be done. All right, from the blaze. Governor Cuomo ends law intended to stop prostitution because activists said it led to anti-trans bigotry. From Carlos Garcia. A law in place to help people, uh, police prevent prostitution on the streets of New York has been repealed because activists said it led to discrimination against transgender people and other minorities. Since 1976, New York Penal Law Section 24037 criminalized loitering in public spaces. If a police officer ascertained that the person loitering was doing so in order to commit prostitution, or rather it did until Tuesday, when Andy Cuomo signed a bill to end the law. Critics of the law said it was so vague and allowed too much subjective interpretation that led to abuse by police officers. Data from the New York State, Div uh, 
Division of Criminal Justice Services, said that almost 1,300 people were arrested between 2012 and 2015. Of those, 85% were black or Latino. You know how I say that if we make less laws, then we don't need to have as many police? See this? This is a good thing. This is getting rid of laws that allow police to go off and aggressively police. I give Andy Cuomo a lot of shit because he is an abject fucking moron. He has run his state into the ground. He killed tens of thousands of people in nursing homes and then said, it doesn't matter where they died, okay? But I will give credit where credit is due, and he's actually done what needed to be done with this. This is a good thing. This is a very good thing. Now, if you want to go and engage in prostitution, that's between you and the hooker. I'm sorry. And if you don't like the idea of somebody being exploited, then don't go to the fucking hooker. That's it in and of itself. But they have a law like this on where the police have the subjective idea to decide whether somebody's loitering for prostitution or not. That is a law that's gone too far. Good on Cuomo for getting rid of this, and good on the New York State Legislature for getting rid of this. Because this is one that's gone too far. Get rid of the laws, and you don't need as many police officers. You see how this works? Alright. I got just a couple more here, then we will do something, that, uh, something I'm thankful for, rather. It's Wednesday. So, from the Miami Herald, which I can't read because I have an ad blocker on. All right, I've got one more. And then I'll archive this and we'll do this tomorrow. I've got one more. And then we'll do a thing I'm thankful for here. Jeff Bezos to step away as Amazon CEO Andy Jassy to take over in quarter three. From Todd Hazelton. Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos will leave his post later this year, turning the helm over to the company's top cloud executive, Andy Jassy. According to an announcement on Tuesday, Bezos will transition to executive chairman of Amazon's board. Bezos, 57, founded Amazon in 1994 and has since morphed the one-time online bookstore to a mega retailer with global reach in a slew of different categories from gadgets to groceries to streaming. Amazon surpassed a $1 trillion market cap under Bezos' leadership in January of last year. It's now more than, worth more than $1.6 trillion. The company had kept its succession plans quiet, though onlookers speculated that either Jazzy or Jeff Wilk, CEO of Amazon's worldwide consumer business, would be Bezos' eventual successor. In August, Amazon announced Wilk will retire in 2021. Jazzy 53 will become CEO in the third quarter. Jassy joined Amazon in 1997 and has led Amazon's web services cloud team since its inception. AWS will continue to drive much of Amazon's profit. I'm excited to announce that this quarter three I'll transition to executive chair of the Amazon board and Andy Jassy will become CEO. Bezos said in a letter to employees, I'm the executive chair role. I intend to focus my energies and attention on new products and early initiatives. Andy is well-known inside the company and has been at Amazon almost as long as I have. He will be an outstanding leader, and he has my full confidence. Well, I guess he made his money. 
and he's still going to be a big part of the company. I just I think he wants to focus more on the on the nuts and bolts of it than going through financials and executive decisions and things like that. He still wants to work with the company, but I mean he started this to be an online a small online bookseller. Not the massive worldwide giant that it is and I th I think the guy just wants to make things better. I think he's got a bad rap for a lot of things. And we'll see where this goes. We'll see what this does with the with the Amazon Post. Going forward, we will see what happens going forward with uh Where was I going with that? We'll see what happens going forward with things like Amazon Studios, um, the other holdings that he has here, but I'm kind of interested to watch this and see what happens with it. If it tanks, if it goes up, if they keep going forward, and just where it goes. All right, and that's going to be it for the news for the week. Or for the day, rather, not the week. It's only Wednesday. The government has two more days to stu uh, do stupid shit. Three more days. Because they still have all the Wednesday to do stupid shit. But the last thing that we do is something that I'm thankful for on a Wednesday. And this comes from my home state. And I'm so glad. I'm so thankful right now that I grew up in a small town and that I went to school in a small town. And that I went to school when I did, too. Because, I mean, small town, this shit's not going to fly. None of this is going to happen like this. And then all uh, at the same time, at the end of the 90s, in the beginning of the 2000s, you're not going to see stupid shit like this. But from WAOW News 9 out of Madison, uh, Wisconsin Rapids, rather. Sun Prairie administrators apologize for error in judgment in lesson. Uh, this is coming to WAOW from WKOW. The Sun Prairie School Superintendent is apologizing for a racially insensitive lesson given to some middle school students on the first day of Black History Month. We're writing today to apologize for a grave error in judgment that occurred during 6th grade social studies instruction at Patrick Marsh Middle School. Brad Saran, superintendent, wrote in emails to parents. The teachers have been placed on administrative leave while the district investigates. A screenshot from a parent of a 6th grade student on the assignment quickly began circulating on social media. In the assignment, students were given various scenarios, and one of which was, A slave stands before you. This slave has disrespected his master by telling him, You are not my master. How will you punish the slave? The student is then asked to answer. Yeah. This... The fact that this goes on and this this blows my mind, first and foremost. This completely blows my mind. The fact that this was part of an assignment, because we're supposed to be advocating away from slavery. District officials say a small group of our teachers developed and used the activity that the district says was neither racially conscious nor aligned to the district's mission. Yeah, but that word has a lot of racial connotations in our country. Never mind the Irish slavery that's gone on, but you know that's got a lot of a lot of racial aspects to that. If you use that word, especially coming out of Sun Prairie, on top of it, 
Once we learned of this activity, we immediately stopped any further teaching of the lesson and probably began an investigation, Saren wrote in the email to parents. In our preliminary findings, we have determined that the lesson was not part of our district curriculum and therefore no student should participate in or complete the assignment. That is the full letter that goes with that, which I'm not going to read the whole thing, but yet, wow. I mean, I can understand where parents would get upset by that. I absolutely would, but... Once again, this is going to be something that is, I mean, it's an ethics lesson, but it's not one that you would give to sixth graders. I mean, that would be like a 12th grade social problems or even like a college level philosophy question on top of everything else. That is way above that. <laughs> wow. But hey, I never had to deal with anything like that. I went to a good high school in a small town. Back when things were simple. Back when things were great and simple and easy. Before all the stupid shit started coming in here. And that's going to be it for the day here. So that's our Wednesday show. We will be back. I'll be back here tomorrow. I don't know if you guys will be back here. I hope you guys will be back here tomorrow. But uh, I will definitely be back here tomorrow to talk about more of the news of what's coming up here. What's coming on from impeachment and where that's going to go. And everything else that the government decides to do throughout today and tomorrow. It's going to be an interesting one here. Joining me back here at 745 Central Time tomorrow morning for more Contemporary. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary.